Exurgat Deus disipentur inimici eius, et fugian cio deruntium facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defendenos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias do praesidium. Imperetili deis supplicis de precamur, tuge princeps militae caelestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in inferno netrude. Amen. Angle dei, qui custos es me, metibi comissum pietate superna, hodie illumina custode rege et guberna. Amen. Mata dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Speculum justitiae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facium tuum et salvi edimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> so I added the prayer, um, prayer to the guardian angel in this one. Um, particularly because I'm about to tread into some very, very potentially controversial waters. And it's in an area that I habitually say on this podcast is not my expertise. This is going to be a little bit of an ecclesiological, theological discussion. <clears throat> I was watching, well, I was reading a LifeSite News article um, about that was talking about Taylor Marshall coming out and saying the Pope is a heretic. He's actually come out and <clears throat> okay. So I know not everybody in the podcast. I mean, just, you know, statistical likelihood, not everybody is going to say, Hey, the Pope's a heretic. Um, <clears throat> for Taylor Marshall to actually make this step, <clears throat> I would like to say it kind of, makes me feel a little bit more confident about actually just saying it. I mean, I've largely considered the Pope's teachings to be heretical. <clears throat> and in fact, on Twitter, somebody actually posted a thread and they're like, this is absolutely dangerous, this, that, and the other. And then he, and then he, the person proceeds to actually cite all of the trad arguments and then post all of the Pope's teachings. And what he did was he managed to co collect all in one place on one single thread, the full traditional Catholic argument <clears throat> and the set of a contest argument pretty much at the same time. <clears throat> now, obviously, the set of a contest take it a step further than most traditional Catholics. Or I should say most of the remaining traditional Catholics who are not set of a contest. <clears throat> the, um, but, Taylor Marshall definitely, like, I guess you could say he's pretty much about as mainstream, like he's fairly mainstream when it comes to the trad community. Um, <clears throat> you know, very large podcast, very large audience, lots of influence. Um, you know, I mean, like influence across America, even up to, <clears throat> even up to the White House during the Trump administration. So like, to say he's mainstream is shouldn't obviously shouldn't be terribly controversial. Um, <clears throat> and I would put him, his podcast single-handedly up there with like the remnant TV, uh, the remnant newspaper and life site news. And I mean, like somewhere in that space between, between those and kind of an almost EWTN, <clears throat> um, in the Catholic world, there's not a voice more noticed than, than Dr. Taylor Marshall. <clears throat> so, and I don't agree with him <clears throat> on a bunch of stuff, but I mean, given the amount of content he's put out, that's kind of easy to do. <clears throat> um, and again, theology and ecclesiology, those are not, that's not in my wheelhouse. So like when I say I don't agree with him with a bunch of stuff, it actually largely has to do with um, some of the data that he draws his conclusions on, not his conclusions. Um, I wouldn't actually put myself on that level where I could say, hey, yeah, 
I'm going to get into a debate with you about this, that, and the other. <clears throat> the, I mean, if we were talking military tactics, I'd, I'd, I'd probably mop the floor with him because that's my wheelhouse. You know, if we're talking about mechanical engineering or meteorology or some of the, or some of the other expertises I've managed to pick up over the years, it would be a completely different, completely different story altogether. But when it comes to theology, when it comes to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the, the understanding of St. Thomas Aquinas and the approach that St. Thomas Aquinas uses, you know, I'm definitely going to yield the floor to him for the most part on that. The, uh, obviously, unless something just happens to stick out. But in this particular case, that is not the case. Um, <clears throat> it is interesting that he has finally made that leap because that's probably actually, he's probably the largest domino to fall on that and will likely actually, there are some serious ramifications um, Catholic worldwide that are going to come of this. Um, and I would fully expect, and I, and I know that he would not have, he would not have done, he would not have made this leap nor made the, the secondary and tertiary leaps of, of citing John Henry Newman, et cetera, about, about a heretical Pope not being able to exercise the office. And this, the topic for this podcast is kind of obliquely related to that specifically because of the her of the heresy that Pope Francis taught uh, uh, spoke at the public audience um, on these on Candlemas on the 2nd of February because what the Pope said as I had some time to kind of review it and sort of bounce back and forth and kind of noodle it over in my head what the Pope said negates papal authority what the Pope said negates his authority as the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> and that is at the core. For those of you who don't know, Pope Francis, at on, on the 2nd of February, on uh, the Feast of Candlemas, <clears throat> on the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, on the presentation of the child. I mean, like, like no joke, like this is, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. <clears throat> he came out and said, talking about who the communion of saints is and said in asking a rhetorical question about his statement, because he, because he basically, he came out and he made, and he made this statement. He's like, we're all brothers, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 that whole thing. Right. Um, and then he, and then he asks a theoretical, you know, a, a hypothetical question or poses a hypothetical question and he, and, and he, and he says, father, does this mean, you know, the apostate, the blasphemer, yada, yada, ooh. Now the list, the apostate, the blasphemer, the persecutor of the church, those who deny their baptism. <clears throat> All right. This is the con. This is actually the root context of what he's talking about. Are they still home? Meaning, are they still in the church? Are they still the communion of saints? And he says explicitly, yes. They are all home. This is the communion of saints. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. Because the third time I'm listening to it, because I'm going over, because now I heard the video on Twitter on, I think it was either on the 2nd or 3rd of February. I heard, I, I watched the video and it seemed like it was cut off short. And then I got a second version of the video that was a little bit longer and did actually confirm the context. And then there was the third video, which included a little bit of commentary. And so by the time I got to Dr. Taylor Marshall, I'd already seen this about four times and he thankfully played it about three more times. So technically I'd seen this video clip like six times. <clears throat> and then he added his own commentary. And then, and then talked about the defense of his commentary on Twitter, et cetera. And this is actually like, I don't think people fully understand how big this is because logic dictates. If an apostate, if a heretic, if a schismatic, if someone who denies the faith, denies their baptism, denies our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
if they are part of the communion of saints, and remember that this is a specifically, explicitly different phrase. It has a particular meaning. That's why it's in the Nicene Creed, and that's why it's in the Nicene Creed as separate from credo in unum sanctum ecclesiam catholicum. Excuse me, apostolicum. Uh, yeah. Oi, I really actually need to remember how to do this when, when I'm cutting a sentence out. But I believe in the Holy Catholic, in, in, in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Unum sanctum. Unum sanctum catholicum. Uh, oh, gracious. Why can't I remember this phrase separate of actual? I'd actually have to run through the whole thing. Anyway. <clears throat> One holy Catholic and apostolic church. And then <clears throat> the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. Okay, this is why they're separate. Oh, that's why. Because it's, because I'm used to praying, the, but they, I was getting them all mixed up. Okay, that's, that's why it was all ja jaggered up in my head. That makes sense. <clears throat> but it's, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And that would be from the Nicene Creed. From the Apostles' Creed, <clears throat> I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. This is weird because I'm not used to saying it in English. <clears throat> They're separate clauses the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And they're separate for a reason. Because they're not the same thing. The Holy Catholic Church is the church on earth that believes what has always been believed in all places, at all times, by all peoples. <clears throat> and the communion of saints is a specific reference to the church's militant, suffering, and triumphant. <clears throat> they're similar, they overlap, they're not the same. What Pope Francis has done is by saying that apostates and persecutors of the church, etc., are still part of the communion of saints, he has basically said, <clears throat> Mao Zedong, well, I don't know if Mao Zedong was ever Catholic, Joseph Stalin, Baptized Catholic as an infant, still in the communion of saints. Adolf Hitler, cradle Catholic, baptized, still in the communion of saints. Martin Luther, still in the communion of saints. Henry VIII, still in the communion of saints. Napoleon Bonaparte, still in the communion of saints. Like, do you see where this bundles up and balls up and becomes a very, very nasty nasty supposition because to say that the you know judas iscariot still in the communion of saints <clears throat> now we can't speak for most of everybody else but we can definitely i mean we it doesn't take a doesn't take a genius to know that it's very 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 unlikely that adolf hitler is saint adolf of austria <clears throat> or joe stalin is saint joseph of Russia. That's not like that doesn't enter into anyone's mind. But that what that is what just became true. <clears throat> Simultaneously, take it one step further. To say that even the apostate, <clears throat> to say that even the apostate and the heretic and the schismatic and persecutors of the church are still in the communion and say are the communion of saints is to say that once you're saved, you're always saved. So once you're baptized, that's it. No more obligations to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can do whatever you want. You will still be in the communion of saints. <clears throat> that sounds nuts. And when Protestants actually think about it, even they know, oh, once saved, always saved. Like, like well, I'm saved. It's like, yeah, but, well, we really shouldn't do that. And they don't, like, they know that they shouldn't continue to sin. They know that they shouldn't continue to rebel. <clears throat> but they don't really have a concrete reason as to why. 
Because I mean, once you're saved, if, if once saved, always saved, then why, why not do it? I mean, you may as well do you know, Calvinist, do whatever you want. Do like Martin Luther said, sin the more, sin all the more with more boldness. So as to proclaim the greatness and glory of God. <laughs> you know, a lot of this stuff, like when I say it, I can't even say it with a straight face because this, this is very, it's difficult for me to keep my composure in this because this is nuts. If there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the body of Christ, if there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the body of Christ, then even if the bishop excommunicates you or the pope excommunicates you as a traditional faithful, as a faithful traditional Catholic who insists on the Tridentine Mass, on the mass of the ages, even if they get to the point where they're like, okay, we've had enough of all this crap. The Institute of Christ, the King, the Fraternal Society of St. Peter, um, the Institute of the Good Shepherd, all of you guys, anathemasit. Well, that means nothing. If the bishop says to a priest, anathemasit, because he insists on celebrating the Holy Mass ad orientum, and we're talking about the Novus Ordo Mass, if he insists on celebrating the Novus Ordo ad orientum in Latin with Gregorian chant, incense and bells and candles and the whole nine yards, and the bishop the bishop can get as mad as he wants. He can say whatever it is he can say, anathema say, he can say whatever. Well, guess what? Doesn't mean anything because you can't separate me from the church. I mean, never mind the fact that you already separated yourself from the church by even thinking of such nonsense, but... If you were to come at me and tell me, if Bishop so-and-so comes at me and says, you are no longer in the church because you hold to these rigid ideologies within, with, you know, with that are, that are a corruption of the Catholic faith. So what? His Holiness Pope Francis says that there's nothing I can do to separate myself from the communion of saints. There is nothing I can do to separate myself from the Catholic church. There is nothing I can do to leave home. So whatever it is that you say means nothing. And that, dear family, is the point. The Holy Father, Francis I, hopefully Francis the only, in all honesty. I mean, I don't mind if they reuse the name, but... <laughs> Hopefully, Francis the only. The Holy Father himself has just declared that even he has no power to separate me, a traditional Catholic, from the Catholic Church. None. He has abnegated his own authority. He has spiritually taken off the crown, the triple crown of St. Peter, in the same way that Paul VI physically removed the crown, the triple crown. He has spiritually removed the crown of St. Peter from his own head by making this declaration. And I don't know if he really understands that that's exactly what he just did. He just made it so that the Pope now has no more power to excommunicate, that the bishops now have no more power to excommunicate. That is what he that is the implication of what he just taught eight days ago as I record this. <clears throat> so on the one hand, I weep because the Holy Father is obviously a heretic. But on the other hand, I, I want to dance with joy because the Holy Father has made it abundantly clear that no matter what papal bull comes out, no matter what motu proprio comes out, no matter what, he has no authority to remove me from the church. He has no authority to remove me or any other traditional Catholic, layman, priest, bishop, nun, consecrated brother, none, no power whatsoever to do so. Which is why Modernism is, like, no joke, in all of this, because in 
in one fell swoop, he is in his effort to try and bring everybody in and try to make room for everybody. He has made it impossible to separate those of us who actually believe the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. The ones who actually desire to worship God the way God instructed us through sacred tradition. The ones who absolutely wish to follow the infallible teachings from the Council of Trent. Who absolutely believe in the literality. Let me say that word again because I think I said it with literality. The literalness of sacred scripture. Those of us who have been marginalized have just been liberated. Because no matter what they do, from the mouth of the Holy Father himself, you cannot be removed. There is no acts of excommunication. You don't have that hanging over your head like the sword of Damocles. No more. Because he has said nothing can separate us. And he has been adamant about his willingness to make sure that nothing can separate the things that cry out to the people who commit the things that cry out to heaven for justice. Now, the sad part is, is he is also in so doing, and this is actually the thing in the world, and this is obviously not true, but this is the effect of what he has done. He has declared wholeheartedly, full-throatedly, that the Catholic Church, the hierarchy, the See of St. Peter, I want to say the Institute of Christ the King talking about the the holy institution. (laughs) Unfortunately, they're a religious order too, and that gets a little bit sketch when you're trying to separate all that out. But he has basically said that the Vatican has nothing to say on faith and morals. The Vatican has nothing to say on moral living. The Vatican actually now has nothing to say. Bishops out there. This was always the terminus for modernism. The Holy Father on the Feast of Candlemas, on the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, has come out and said, you, Bishop, have no authority. You have no authority to regulate the religious institutions in your dioceses. You have no authority to regulate your priests. Because no matter what, nothing you do has the power to separate them from the church. And that it actually extends further. You actually, I mean, by stripping you of that authority, you don't even actually have authority over the dioceses. Because understand, I think the word I'm looking for is ontological. If I'm wrong, feel free to email me or send me a message on Twitter or on SP3RN. But I think the word is ontological. Ontologically, by teaching this teaching in public as the holy father on this on the on the seat of saint peter sitting in front sitting in front of the in in front of the audience the public audience i mean there wasn't hardly anybody there but it was a public audience the ontological truth of what he says is you don't even actually have control over your buildings you don't have the power to control anything And I wish, I truly, oh man, this is actually one of those few times where I kind of wish I had like a bigger podcast so that I could be like, hey, Taylor Marshall, why don't you come on over? We'll have a talk and this, that, and the other, because this is actually the effect of what he's done. See, I may not be any good with theology and I may not be any good with ecclesiology, but I do implication strategy. Tactics. 
And given the fact that the Holy Father has actually has a responsibility to lead the church and the world by the power of his words, that means I look at the Holy Father's words like bullets coming out of an M16 or an AK-47. And if the bullets miss, they miss. And if they strike true, they strike true. But what he has just done has officially turned the M16 as it were, I'm going to carry the weapon, the weaponry thing. We're going to shift instead, instead of the sword of the, instead of the sword of the spirit, we're going to say the rifle of the spirit. What he has done is he has taken the rifle of the spirit and he has taken the, the live ammunition out the ammunition that could pierce even to the hearts of men. He's taken the live ammunition out and he has replaced all of his bullets with blanks. He has turned the lion of the tribe of Judah into a paper tiger. With no ability to actually control anything related to the church. That's basic. That is the, that when you draw all of the conclusions to their end, when you follow it step by step, if you cannot be removed from the church, then there is no amount of disobedience that will separate me from the church. And if there's no amount of disobedience or rebellion that will separate me from the church, then I can continue to be Catholic no matter what. Now, what's funny is that I don't believe that. I believe in the mass of the age, in, 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 in the teachings of the ages. That heresy separates you from the church. That schism separates you from the church. That apostasy separates you from the church. This has been taught ad infinitum all the way back throughout the ages. If you reject God, you don't get to call him father. At least not until you come up and you say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In repentance. Everyone was so concerned and I, and okay. So again, tactics and strategy, everyone was so concerned about the heresy that he was teaching that they didn't stop to look at the implication of what he said. The implication of what he said is that we owe him nothing. He said it himself. You want to celebrate the priests. You want to celebrate the traditional Latin mass? He can't stop you. What's he going to do? Take a, What's he going to do? Take away your ordination? Do you understand that even if he actually sends you a letter of laicization, it's invalid? By his own declaration, it's invalid. That. Oh, actually, one more aside. Talking about the communion of saints. Oh, I'm so sorry to say this. Okay, so technically, if if this person repents, he will still be in the communion of saints. But Ted McCarrick in the communion of saints, really? Mm. That's maybe no bueno. Anyway, let me get back on track. Dear priests and bishops. You have to understand that by saying, by preaching and teaching what the Pope just preached and taught, he negated traditionis custodis, he negated the responsa ad dubia, he negated fratelli tutti, he negated everything he ever, I mean, granted, he, I mean, fratelli tutti is in line with everything else he said, but he negate, he's negated everything he's ever called for because he's got no authority. He has negated all of his authority by declaring that there is nothing he can do, nothing he or anyone else on earth or in heaven can do to separate you from the communion of saints. So you actually now have no reason to obey traditionis custodis. You have no reason to obey Blaise Cardinal Supage. You have no reason to obey anything that restricts the traditions of Holy Mother Church. By this teaching, he has negated the fact, well, we're going to abrogate this, that, and the other. Sorry, boss. A couple weeks later, six months later, you just abrogated your authority. Autorita Papa esse delendum with this statement. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> I mean, come on. This is, you got to laugh because this is actually the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, seriously. If there's nothing that can separate me from the church, if the pagan is Catholic, if the Satanist is Catholic, if the atheist is Catholic, if the Luciferian is Catholic, if Baptists are Catholic and, and Anabaptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Calvinists and Wesleyans and Mormons are Catholic, if everybody in humanity is Catholic, which I mean, from a certain point of view, that's generally ish. <clears throat> But if everybody's Catholic, because this is actually one of the cool things. This isn't one of those, if everybody's Catholic, then nobody's Catholic. This is one of those, if everybody's Catholic, then nothing I do to hold true to the faith, no matter how mad it makes you, is going to make you capable with the authority, with the power to strike me from the church, to cleave me from the church and send me off into the outer darkness, which means I get the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the true manner that I intend to receive with, rep with a repentant heart urging towards reparation rendering all honor to God on my knees, receiving only on my tongue. It means I get the smells and bells, not for my sake, but because that's what God deserves. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. There's nothing to you, you could do to stop me if I, were, if I were a priest. There's nothing that you could do to stop me as a priest from celebrating ad orientum in Latin with Gregorian chant and the bells and the incense and the servers and no girls at the freaking altar. <clears throat> There's nothing you can do to stop me. It means you, bishop, who have all on board with Traditionis Custodis and decided you were going to strike down the Latin mass it means you get to do none of that. You can't strike down the Latin mass, which means I, as a priest, can walk into my parish and get contractors to rip out all of that gaudy, nasty, felt banner crap and install linens and tapestries and build an appropriate high altar within, with the legit altar stone with all of the statuary and the gold leaf and all of it for the glory and honor of God. And you can do what? Oh, that's right. Nada. And it means I, as a bishop, can tell the Pope to his face on international television, you, sir, are a liar. and a heretic, and an apostate. And he can do nothing. It's the number one problem when you try to democratize everything. It's the number one problem when you try to embrace the modernist heresy. <coughs> <coughs> particularly when it comes to universalism, when it comes to universalism or, or uh, what's, what's the other one? Um, relativism. Oh, well, we're all this, that, no, bro. If that's what you believe, then you can step aside because I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. I am a member of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I know what infallible teaching looks like, and it's not for me to go. You can go. That's what has just happened. Now, the question is, given this information, are there any bishops out there with the stones as well as the crook to do it? God gave you that crook and miter for a reason. Are you going to use it or are you going to go the way of the world? 
Because if you're going to go the way of the world, then we can just keep stepping down the let the chain of command. Like we can keep going down the chain of command until we finally reach someone who will stand up and say, "You, sir, are an apostate. You, sir, are a heretic. You, sir, betray Almighty God. Get out." And in truth, funnily, that includes laymen. To my set of Acontis brethren, one of the reasons why I'm not Sede myself is because if there is no Pope, there is no authority. There is a Pope. And he just abrogated his own authority. And in so doing, has committed a grievous crime against Holy Mother Church. Which means now is the time for the Recognize and Resist movement to get together with the set of a Contest movement and push them out. Because the document, the transcript of his speech is on the Vatican website. It has been published. This is a public statement. Hence the word publish. Same root. Now is the time. Now is the time where the laity can begin to drum stuff up. We can begin to drum up the movement. And I will tell you, bishops, cardinals, bruh, you are not going to like it. Because every last one of you who support Traditionis Custodis and don't reject it completely, It's weird. Every one of you who decided that you're going to follow Francis down this road and don't reject him completely. Let me let me speak in term let me speak in terms of, that you bishops and cardinals can understand. If you do not stand up to Francis and reject him now completely, your authority goes with his. And you can do nothing. Do you understand that if you don't actually, like, no joke, weird, but if you don't reject Francis's teaching, you can't even implement Traditionis Custodis. Nice catch 22. The moment you do reject Francis for it, you can't implement Traditionis Custodis. See, this is what I like about the truth. It's one of my favorite things about the truth. The truth is always the truth. The truth is the double-edged sword. The truth is the one that it doesn't matter if it's, if it's, if it's the assertive cut or the draw cut. You know, you're, you're going to do it on the upstroke and the downstroke. Either way, you're getting cut. It doesn't matter because that's what the truth does. It cuts away falsehoods. So here's your new catch 22. If you don't reject Francis now, you are with him. And if you are with him, you have no authority in the church. You don't have the authority to enforce Traditionis Custodis. You don't have the authority to enforce anything in the church. And traditionalists win. Even the Sedes win. If you do restrict if you do reject Francis to try and hold on to your power, you will at least be able to hold on to your power and authority as a bishop for a little while longer until God pulls you up to your eternal reward and God help you if you guys are in the wrong state on that one. But if you do reject Francis now, because you have to reject him and all of his acts, because he has been preaching heresy pretty much since day one and has never really dialed back from it. If you do reject him, because you, because that's actually part and parcel with the rejection is you have to reject everything that he's done because he's beca because he has been become a formal heretic, and this isn't one of those. Well, we can kind of peel and piece through and figure out what it is that we want to keep. Wrong. That's not how that works. I've read the histories. 
You reject Francis as a heretic. Everything he did as Pope is negated, which means there is no Amoris Laetitia. There is no Fratelli Tutti. There is no Querida Amazonia. And there is no Traditiones Custodes. You reset the clock back to Sumorum Pontificum. And this time, bishops, don't think for a moment that we won't hold you to account to actually follow it. Those are your two choices. That's it. You accept him and lose all of your authority. Or you reject him and we reset the clock to pre-Francis. That, that is the choice that you have. And there's not a third one because, you, because we already know that according to the traditions of the church, according, according to everything I've ever read, now I, eh, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe they tried to keep something of Honorius, but <clears throat> everything I've ever read says that if we reject Francis as a heretic and an apostate, well, as a heretic, and here's where it gets fun. You only have to reject him as a heretic. It negates all of his acts as, as Pope. So all of his handy-dandy little encyclicals. Oh, man, we get rid of the church involvement in the Great Reset. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Keep Francis and you destroy the church. The way you understand it. The church can never be destroyed, obviously. <clears throat> the body of Christ will never be destroyed. But if you keep Francis, you destroy the church. And if you reject him, you reset the clock to everything pre-Francis, which means all of that stuff that you did before. Hey, by the way, here's what happens if you if you mess around and try and put another Francis on the throne. You get the exact same thing and you're back to square one. And it doesn't matter if we're in 2258 and we're on Francis the 19th. Every single time that you go down this path, you reset the clock back to Samorum Pontificum. Every single time. Because we have now crossed the Rubicon. Everything that happened has happened in the, over the course of this pontificate is now technically, legitimately, and ontologically invalid. Your synod on synodality? Gone. That stupid proposition from the German bishops about women deaconesses and priests and gay marriage blessings? Gone. We have crossed the Rubicon. You might have gotten away, like no joke, you might have gotten away with it if Francis would have died before the end of last year because he would have, because while he would have put out Traditionis Custodis, he would not have said what he said on Candlemas. But he did say what he said on Candlemas. So now, correct him, get rid of him, or lose it yourselves. We've crossed that Rubicon. And one of the reasons why I'm really glad to hear someone like Taylor Marshall, who is far more educated when it comes to theology than me, now, mind you, everybody else is sort of pussy, but like, no joke, most of everybody else is still kind of pussyfooting around, hoping that they don't actually have to make the declaration. I'm very glad that Taylor Marshall has, because because he has, I can now say what has actually happened. Because I'm listening to this thing, and I was like, there was, I knew there was something more. I'm listening to him talk, and I know that, like, I'm listening, and I'm going, I know this is truly, truly significant. And I hedged my bets on Twitter initially. I hedged my bets. Because, well, actually, the initial, like I said, I only saw the first video clip and it looked cut off. So I, you know, I didn't know if there was more to the sentence. There was, by the way, more to the sentence. It was actually more damning. Should have let that clip run another 10 seconds. <clears throat> Would have been extraordinarily damning. But the clip was cut short and I knew it was cut short and it had that sort of feel like, I feel like the next sentence is probably going to be something that totally washes this away. And then it wasn't. And then it took some, I mean, I mean, here we are. I mean, we're eight days 
this is the octave of Candlemas. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's like normally a thing, but this is the octave of Candlemas. And wow. <laughs> um striking. So let's recap real quick. The particular, and mind you, you could say that I was waiting for a particular teaching like this. Because he could throw all of the other hints out there. But by making the declarative statement that heretics, apostates, schismatics, people who reject the faith, reject their baptism, reject our Lord, that all of these people are the communion of saints. This is, a, this is one of those definitive declarative teachings that you can actually anchor to and go, okay, let's take this and flesh this out to what this means. Like, no joke, this is like parable of the sower stuff. This is the parable of the ten talents. This is, this is like, this is one of those archetypal teachings, specifically for its inv invalidity, because this is that thing that you can actually dissect and go, let's carry this thought through to the end. And it's easy. The declarative statement is that there is nothing on earth or in heaven that can separate you from the communion of saints. Not excommunication. Not any of the sins that cry out to, just, uh, to heaven for justice. Not anything. And when you say something like that, in a world where the church is responsible for the teaching of faith and morals, you delete that teaching authority. The Holy Father, on the Feast of the Purification, on Candlemas, has just deleted the magisterium. I can actually almost hear it in my mind. A lot of people going, whoa. <laughs> There's a lot of like somewhere, somewhere in like, I can also hear a lot of no. But when you say that even the heretic and the apostate are in communion, when you basically make the statement that Adolf Hitler is in heaven, that Joseph Stalin is in heaven, despite being unrepentant. When you basically make the statement that Judas Iscariot is in heaven, despite the fact that we know that he did not repent before he committed suicide, and even had he repented before he committed suicide, the act of suicide would have damned him to hell just by itself. When you make that statement... That all of those people are part of the communion of saints. And that nothing in heaven or on earth can separate them from the church. You effectively say that magisterial documents don't matter. Magisterial teaching doesn't matter. Sacred scripture doesn't matter. The Catholic Church doesn't matter. The Supreme Pontiff doesn't matter. No bishop, no priest, no king. No one can separate you from the Catholic Church. There is nothing that you can do. And if there's nothing that the pontiff or the bishops or the priests can do to separate you from the church, then they can't tell you anything either. They can't teach you anything either. If what's written in sacred scripture cannot separate you from the church, if what's if holy tradition cannot separate you from the church, if the magisterium cannot separate you from the church, if none of that can separate you from the church, then you, holy father, you may wear the cassock, but you're not the pope.
And that same, the very same, goes to all of the bishops. You may wear red and scarlet, but you're not bishops. You're not the archbishop. You're not an auxiliary bishop. You're not a regular bishop. You may still be a cardinal, because as I understand it, the cardinals are supposed to be friends of the Pope. <clears throat> I don't really, like I said, I'm not really big into ecclesiology, so maybe you could still be a cardinal. But that means Blaise Cardinal Supich, you are not the Archbishop of the Diocese of, you're the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Unless you reject Francis. And I know that's going to be a really hard thing for you to do since you're the voice of Francis in America, and we all know it. So congratulations, priests of St. John Cantius. You can tell Blaise Cardinal Supich to go pound sand, because until he rejects Francis, he can't tell you not to celebrate the Latin Mass. And that same thing goes for the priests of the FSSP in France. Because the Archbishop can't tell you not to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass in France. In fact, if that Archbishop does not reject Francis, then he cannot even tell... Oh, wow, this is so awesome. He can't tell you anything. Because Francis said so. Dear family, from here on out, and all the way back to, to the papal election in 2013, from here on out, according to my very basic and rudimentary reading of church history, nothing Pope Francis does is valid. He's still the Pope on paper, but he has no authority. The keys of St. Peter are clearly not with him. Now that's kind of bad, like a lot, because conceivably, that means the gates of heaven, the fountain of grace, is closed. Conceivably. Again, I'm a little bit out of my element, but this is sort of, like, this is kind of where we go. We, dedu we deduce what is next based on what is, and... This actually confirms that the fountain of grace is actually closed. Now, there may still be, obviously, graces. There are things that God's never going to shut the font off from. But until Pope Francis is rejected and condemned as a heretic, until all of his documents are removed from the Vatican archives, I mean, you know, if they're smart, they'll keep them and, and lock them in a box somewhere under, you know, with a label that says verboten, or however you say forbidden in Italian. Actually, I'd prefer it was in Latin. Honestly, <clears throat> yeah, there's a surprise. But that was a Rubicon crossing moment. Now, when they say, oh, that means that the See of St. Peter is vacant. Yes and no. The church still actually has to move for it to be licit. The church still has to move for it to be legitimate. So yes, the See of St. Peter is vacant. But no, the See of St. Peter is not vacant. We're in that weird spot. It's one of the things I like about eternity, because God's looking at this and going, yeah, well, the See of St. Peter was vacant during that time. And it will remain so until such time as a proper pope is actually elected and we get, you know, Somebody to at least pretend to do the right thing? We've crossed a line that absolutely means they can never cross this line again. And that is quite the big deal. It's quite the big deal indeed. <clears throat> 
Oh, and by the way, to my set of conscious friends out there, I know what you're going to say about this one. Well, how can it be both? Well, I mean, the same way that, you know, the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ still looks and tastes like bread and wine. We all know it's not bread and wine. We know that the consecrated host is not bread and wine. But it still looks and tastes and smells like bread and wine. He still looks like the Pope. I hope to God nobody can actually testify as to how he tastes. <laughs> but I'm sure he still tastes like the Pope. Well, I guess in his case, he still sounds like the Pope. I mean, well, actually, that's really the problem is he doesn't sound like the Pope at all. But anyway, he still looks like the Pope. He still dresses like the Pope. He still sits in the Pope's chair. But he's not the Pope. The thing is, here's the big one. He's not dead yet. And because he's not dead yet, he can still repent. And if he does repent, he's the Pope. You know, in the same way, oh, hey, I committed adultery. Or, hey, I committed heresy and schism and apostasy. And this one, okay, so let's, let's be real for just a moment. All of those statements are true. I did commit heresy. I did commit schism. I did commit apostasy. And I repented. And I'm a Catholic. Part of the communion of saints. The future is not written in stone until it's the past. That's why the See of St. Peter is not vacant. Because there is a Pope in the chair and he can repent. Probably won't, but he can. And the same was true for Benedict, and the same was true for John Paul II, and the same was true for Paul VI and John Paul I, although I don't know, I, I don't know anything about John Paul I because he was, he, he was only Pope for 30 days, and it was 30 days before I was even born. <clears throat> John XXIII, when he was alive, it was still true for him. And part of the reason... And I think this might be the most significant part of it. Th something that everybody forgets. Pope Honorius I. It's one of my favorite historical figures. I don't pray to him or anything like that, obviously. But he's one of my favorite historical figures. And everybody talks about, well, I mean, they dug him from the grave and then they excommunicated him. Yeah. And then after that happened, they said, we can never let this happen again. And they closed off that avenue of approach. So you cannot condemn Pope Paul VI of heresy because he's dead. If he was a heretic, he's in hell. You cannot condemn Pope John Paul II of any kind of heresy because he's dead. And if he was a heretic, he too is in hell. See where I'm going with this? Francis is alive. He can be condemned for heresy. He can be tried for heresy. And if he dies without having ever gone to that trial, then we go on and we do it again. But I will tell you, ain't going to happen, Cap'n. Ain't happening. Because you just crossed the Rubicon and you just abrogated the entire authority of the throne of St. Peter. You just abrogated the entire authority of the Vicar of Christ on earth. And if the bishops don't condemn you, you just abrogated the authority of all of the bishops on earth and all of the priests. And you have made it so that it is impossible 
for you to get rid of those mini poo-poo headed trads that you were so desperately trying to get rid of. Congratulations. War's over. You lose. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Nomini Patris et Filiat Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Christus vincit. Christus regnat. Christus imperat.